0: Church, it's good to be with you. My name is Halim Sa. I serve as one of the pastors and elders here at the Stone. We're gonna be continuing in the book of 1 Peter today. We're gonna be in 1 Peter chapter three, verse seven today. Last week, we saw Peter addressing marriages, giving instruction to wives. And this week, we're gonna see Peter give instruction to husbands. And now, if you are here and you are single and you're wondering, what does this have to do with me? What Second Timothy 3.16 tells us is that all of God's word is God breathed. All of God's word is profitable for us. It's pro- profitable to make us complete and equip us for every good work and so perhaps he's teaching you and he's equipping you and preparing you for a future marriage that's to come. Right? But more than that, that he, we would have an opportunity to see the beauty of the covenant between Christ and his church, the bride. It's not just the married people in the room that God calls to care about marriages. It's everybody, it's because he created it. He's created it to represent something, Christ and the church. So every single believer in this room, single or married, young or old, we all have a responsibility and a calling to care about marriages. Now what's important for us to see in today's text is that while Peter is teaching on marriage, He's doing so in the larger context of teaching on how Christians ought to live in submission. How Christians ought to live in submission because to be Christian, in essence, means that we are a people who have been bought with a price. We've been purchased. We don't belong to ourselves, we belong to another. We are a people, therefore, who live in submission under the rule and reign of another. And yes, we ultimately live under the rule and reign of God and his word, but Peter has been instructing us, starting in 1 Peter chapter two, he said, be subject, be subject for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. He called us to submit to governments, even unjust ones. He calls us to submit to masters and employers, even unjust ones, why? Because when we do so, Peter tells us, we're following the example of Jesus and displaying the gospel to one another and to the world. He tells us in 1 Peter chapter two, verse 21, for to this you have been called, you've been called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. If anybody had the right not to submit, if anybody had the right not to live under subjection, it was Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but why did he submit himself even to unjust rulers? And why did he subject himself to us and our sins and die on the cross for us? Because ultimately, he was entrusting himself to his Father, and because through the suffering and through the submission, he was accomplishing something amazing called the Gospel. Through suffering and quiet submission, Jesus accomplished our salvation. That's how you were saved. Because Jesus submitted himself. Because Jesus was subjected. That's how our salvation was accomplished. And it's in this context that we saw Peter say last week in chapter three, verse one, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. He says likewise, wives, like who? Like Jesus, is saying, wives, you have an opportunity and a calling, for, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He's saying, likewise, wives, you have an opportunity to display what Jesus did for us. How? By submitting to your husband. Every time Angela, my wife, she submits herself to me, even when my leadership is lacking and I, don't deserve it, she is in the gentlest and yet in the most powerful of ways, pointing me and reminding me of the gospel and what Jesus has done for me. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been brought to repentance, the number of times I've been saved and kept from diving headlong into some sin because Angela was willing to do this for me by pointing me to what Jesus has done for us. He submitted himself and subjected himself For me, for you, he took upon our sins and died a horrific death for us to save us. That's the power of submission, right? To this world, submission looks weak. To this world, submission looks foolish. In fact, to those who are perishing, the gospel is foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the wisdom of God. That is the power of submission. It was through Jesus' submission that that God accomplished our salvation. So don't you see, submission makes absolutely no sense if you don't believe in the gospel. If you don't believe that this, in fact, is what Jesus has done for you, right? If you don't believe this is what Jesus has done for you, why in the world would you want to submit to anybody? Why would you want to do that? but if you believe that this is what Jesus has done for you, submitted himself, subjected himself, faced all sorts of suffering for you to save you, then what Peter is saying is follow in his example because in doing so, we're reminding our spouse of the gospel because we're pointing the world to someone named Jesus who did it for you. So now, what about husbands? Wives are like. Finally, let's get to the husbands. Our wives, our husbands exempt. Our husbands called to submit and be subject. Is there a likewise husbands in there? Yes, there is. Let's look at First Peter three verse seven. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Likewise, husbands, Peter says. What do you mean by likewise? Peter is saying, you too, husbands. Just like Jesus suffered and submitted and subjected himself for you, you submit too. There's a submission that the husbands must display. Go back and read Ephesians 5, 21. Before Paul teaches us about marriage, he says, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Christ, Wives to the husbands, husbands to the wives. But because our roles are different as husband and wife, our submission looks different. Paul shows us how it's different. Ephesians 5:22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so again, wives are to submit to their husbands in the way that the church is to submit to Christ by trusting and following his leadership and his authority. But then he shows us how husbands are to display our submission. This is what it looks like, looks like for husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Because the roles are different, husbands don't submit to the authority of the wife, we don't submit to the leadership of their wife or the headship of the wife, but listen, we do submit to the needs of our wives, to her needs. We submit and subject ourselves in the way that Jesus did for the church, his bride. Jesus didn't submit himself to the headship of the church. Jesus didn't submit to the authority of the church. What did Jesus do? He submitted himself, he subjected himself, he gave himself up for the needs of the church. So you see that? The husband's submission for the wife means that we give up ourselves for her. That's in essence the way that husbands are called to display a submission for our wives. We give up ourselves for her, just as Christ gave himself up for the church. The husband submits himself to the needs of the wife by loving her, by honoring her, Peter says. So what does it look like for husbands to submit and subject himself, to give himself up for his wife? What does this look like? Let's look at 1 Peter 3, 7 again and we'll work through it step by step. So first, what does this look like? Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with your wives in an understanding way. If you translate it literally, Peter says, live with your wives according to knowledge according to knowledge. What Peter is saying is, husbands, if you're going to be a picture of Christ to your wife, if you're going to rightly display Jesus to your wife, you're going to have to know some things. You're going to have to have some knowledge, he's saying. What the saying is, is, husbands, it's going to be impossible for you to be the kind of husband God wants you to be apart from you regularly, daily, spending time in God's word. Knowing it. Studying it and obeying it. Husbands, are you in God's word? All the things that God is calling you to do, all the things that you won't want to do, like lay down your life for her, you won't be able to do unless you go to God's word and see and taste and experience that this, in fact, is not some command that God is putting on your life that you have no idea what this looks like, but this, in fact, is what Jesus has done for you. He's done it for you, he submitted himself, subjected himself to all sorts of suffering for our sins to save you, to have a source of love that never dries up and go to it daily and drink from it is the only hope that you will have as a husband to love your wife, to give up yourself for her daily no matter what, that's the only hope that we have, husbands, You have to go to God's word. So first, you need to know God's word. You need to be a student of God's word. But then next, you need to know your wife. You need to be a student of your wife. You need to have a knowledge of your wife's desires and her goals. What makes her face light up? The things that she stays up late worrying about. What are those things, do you know? You need to know how she takes her coffee. You need to know what her favorite foods are. You need to know what her favorite book is and why. You need to know that gifts gifts that God has given are the things that when she does for the kingdom, she finds true joy and satisfaction and make room and create opportunities for her to do, do those things. What are the things that she finds most difficult in obeying Jesus, do you know that? Her greatest temptations. The things that she daydreams about when she wants to escape reality. What are the scriptures that you ought to be praying for her regularly? What is it, do you know? You need to know what her cues are when she's wanting to connect with you emotionally. A psychologist named John Gottman, he and his wife have been working with married couples for over 40 years and this is what they found in their study. Gottman and his wife have observed The regular requests for connection couples make to each other throughout any given day, call them bids. They are the small talk we make as we ride together in the car, or take a walk, or sit together over dinner. Each bid is an opportunity to connect, however momentarily, Spouses who turned toward their partners in the study, responded by engaging the bidder, showing interest and support in the bid. Those who didn't, those who turned away, would not respond or respond minimally and continue doing what they were doing, like watching TV or looking at their phones. Sometimes they would respond with overt hostility, saying something like, stop interrupting me, I'm reading. Husbands. Put down your phones when the love of your life is talking to you. Can we do that? This week, every time your wife is talking to you, no matter how minimal you think the subject is, every time, make eye contact. Turn off your TV, put down your phone, pay her attention. To live with our wives in an understanding way, according to knowledge, means that we're called to know and be a student of God's word. It means that we're called to know and be a student of the wife that God has entrusted to you. That's what this means. Let's look at the next part. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. That's the next part, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. The next thing Peter says is that we are to show honor to our wives as the weaker vessel. Peter says that there is an honor that she is due. There is an honor that she is due because she is the weaker vessel. And look at the next part. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. What this means is that even though they are heirs with you, Even though she is in equal standing with you in God's eyes, equal in personhood, dignity, and worth, there's a weakness that God has assigned to her. There's a weakness that God has entrusted to her so that she may be able to display an aspect of Jesus. And what is that aspect? Philippians chapter two tells us, he did not consider his equality with God as something to be grasped, but he humbled himself taken upon human flesh, going even to the cross, death on the cross, right? There's a humility, there's a weakness that Jesus was willing to put on, why? To show us that he loves us, to go to the cross for us. And there's a weakness that God has assigned women and wives so that they can be a displayer of that to us. In a very real way, there's an honor that she is due because living in this fallen world, in many ways, she has the more difficult role to play. Okay, so specifically, what are some of the ways that the, that the wife is weaker, which makes her calling more difficult and therefore worthy of honor? This would certainly include the idea that by and large, women are physically weaker than men. If you look at the history of mankind, men have always taken advantage of our physical power to oppress women. Now I'm not saying that every single man is more powerful than every single woman. There are some CrossFit women that could kick my butt. (laughs) But generally speaking, when we watch the Olympics, we see that men and women compete separately, why? Because generally speaking, men are physically more powerful than women. Generally speaking, the husbands in the room can overpower their wives physically. And specifically, in a culture where this was happening and thought of as acceptable, husbands abusing their wives, Peter is saying that you need to use that physical strength to serve and honor your wife rather than subduing her. There are dangers and vulnerabilities that women will face in this world that doesn't even cross our minds as men. If there are vulnerabilities and dangers that women face in this world, Christian men, are to be the first ones who stand up and defend that vulnerability, that danger. But as we further look at the context, what we also see is that wives are weaker in terms of authority in the marriage. The husband is entrusted with headship and authority within the marriage to lead and what Peter is saying is that instead of misusing your authority for selfish ends, you should use the authority and leadership that God has given you to again honor your wife, to love her and serve your wife and her needs. Whatever whatever thing that it is that you feel like you could take advantage of to get your way, right? Don't use it to get your way. Use it to serve, use it to honor. And I wanna mention one more. And I don't think this is really a weakness. I think this is really an incredible strength. And yet, it is something that husbands can take advantage of for their own benefit, to serve themselves, to get their way. And that is that wives tend to have more of an emotional sensitivity than their husbands. More of an emotional sensitivity. And again, it's not saying that every woman is more emotionally sensitive than every man. But again, generally speaking. Angela, my wife, is so much more emotionally intelligent than me. She is so much more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. She is so much more sensitive to a sense of what is right, what is wrong, and God has created her in this way. God has created largely women, wives in this way. This is why it said that if the women of the society falls, so does the society that women, in a lot of ways, are the last bastion of morality and faithfulness within a society. If women begin to lose their sensitivity to what is right, what is wrong, then the society will fall. And God has created her that way. Because at the end of the day, Angela, my wife, she's more feeling than I am. There's a way that I could take advantage of that. When we're in a fight and I'm just so angry, I just wanna hurt her, there's a way that I can use my words to hurt her in ways that she can't hurt me with her words because I don't feel things at the level that she's able to feel. And so the Bible commands husbands in Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Do not be harsh with them. God has given women and wives such sensitivity in their hearts and their spirits and it's an incredible strength. And so don't treat it with harshness and criticism to hurt her in times of conflict. Compared to many of you here, Angela and I haven't been married for very long, six, going on sixteen years, but there's a there's a kind of a secret of marriage that I've discovered that and I've been taught. You know what it is? You ready? Just be kind. Be nice. Be tender hearted. Don't be harsh towards your wife. Amen, wives. And so three ways, physically, in authority, and emotionally, wives are the weaker vessel. Again, not inferior vessels, not the lesser vessel, but weaker, Malachi my son is stronger than my daughter Evie, but they are equally precious to me. And if Malachi uses his strength to hurt my daughter Evie, he has to answer to me. And so wives, I know you want this to be really practical, I know you're like, just tell them what to do, tell them all the things you need to start doing. Okay, I'll try my best. What are some things that we can do as husbands to honor our wives in light of their being weaker physically in authority and emotionally? Single men, largely this applies to you in the way that you ought to treat your sisters in Christ. Physical, how can we physically honor our wives? This means that if in the middle of the night you hear the door handle jiggle or your window shatter or your kids screaming upstairs, you get out of bed. That's what this means. You don't say, I checked the last time, it's your turn. You don't say, I checked the last 10 times, it's your turn. It's never her turn. It's always your turn. You always place yourself between your wife and any danger. And for people that are dating in the room, right, women, single ladies, if you're wondering, is this the guy for me, get one of your really good friends to come out and scare you in the middle of a dark alley. And if the dude, like, cowers behind you, don't marry that guy. (laughs) Husbands, this means that any opportunity you get, you clean the house, you hold the baby, you take out the trash, you kill the roach. In any all domestic areas where having more physical strength is an advantage, you do it. As much as you can, you do it. You know, sometimes as husband and wife, at the end of the day, you get into kind of a competition of who's had the harder day. Sometimes I get home and I'm like, Angela, you don't understand the kind of day that I had. And Angela's like, oh yeah, I homeschooled four kids all day. And you gotta get into a competition, right? Who's had the harder day? And why are we doing that? We do that because we're trying to say, I had the harder day, so you serve me. That's why we do it. I had the harder day, and so you serve me. What this means is that husbands, No matter what kind of day you had, she had the harder day. That's what this means. No matter what kind of day you had, she had the harder day, so serve her, honor her. Next, how can we show honor to our wives with the authority God has given us to be the head of the family? Wives, I don't know all that you're feeling and all that's going through your mind when we read Ephesians 5, that the husband is the head of the wife and and The church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I don't know what you're feeling when you see something like that. The Bible does say that. I can't take it out. The Bible does say that. Wives, submit to your own husbands. It does say that, but what we have to understand, especially as husbands, is that nowhere does it say husbands get submission from your wives. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say anywhere, husbands, make your wives submit to you. Get submission out of them. Instead, what is the husband commanded to do? The only thing the Bible commands husbands to do is love. And not just love, but love the way that Christ has loved us, laying down his life for the church. The only thing a husband is commanded to do in the Bible is to be understanding, to show honor, to not be harsh, but be tenderhearted, to lay down his life for his wife. And so biblically, husbands, headship or authority is never ever something that you demand or take, it's something that can only be received. Husbands, if you're not laying down your life, sacrificially loving your wife, putting her needs above your own, then she's not gonna wanna follow you, she's not gonna wanna submit to you, right? So what are you being? You're being a hindrance to her obeying Jesus. She's still called to obey Jesus, but you're not helping her in any way. You're being a hindrance to her obeying Jesus. Husbands, if you want headship, you can't tell her, well, the Bible says you need to submit to me. That's the ultimate way of demanding it. Instead, you have to love her like Christ loved you, not domineering and demanding, but sacrificially laying down your life until she finds that it's something that she wants to do. If anybody had the right to just demand submission through power, who was it? It was Jesus, right? But he didn't do it that way. Instead of subjecting us by his power, he subjected himself and won us by his love. And isn't that why we submit to Jesus? Why do you submit to Jesus? Because he has subjected his power over you and said you must obey? No, he didn't do it that way. We submit to Jesus because he has demonstrated his love for us. He's laid down his life for us in such a way that he has won our hearts forever. That's why we submit to him. That's why. And even when we're not, we have the sense that we ought to. right? Even when we're not, we have the sense that we should. Why? Because he has so demonstrated his love for us. Because he has so laid down his life for us to meet our needs. What does it look like practically for husbands to use their authority and headship within the family to honor their wives? Let me share at least one way. When you fail each other in submitting to one another, when you fail, you're gonna do that, and you hurt each other and you get into a fight, husbands, you go say I'm sorry first. That's what this means. You go say I'm sorry first. In over 20 years of knowing Angela, there's not a single fight that I can remember where I've been completely innocent. Because God has given me headship and authority over our family, I'm called to lead out in reconciling. Just think about your fights. Who leads out in reconciling? Who says I'm sorry first? Husbands, you ought to lead out every time. Every time you should say I'm sorry first. And even if you're absolutely right and she is absolutely wrong, which you're wrong, that's never the case, But even if you're foolish enough to think that, lay it down. Lay it down. Jesus was absolutely right, wasn't he? He was absolutely sinless, wasn't he? But what did he do with that righteousness? What did he do with that authority? Did Did he use it to crush us? He could have, but he didn't. He laid it down, and he still went to the cross for us. Even if you think you're right, lay it down. Jesus gave himself for us and so we need to give up ourselves for our wives. Next, emotionally. How can we emotionally honor our wives and not take advantage of the fact that they are emotionally more sensitive than us? Let me give you one practical way you can do this. Um, I'm really preaching to myself because this is an area where I'm terrible. When you look at Genesis one, you see recorded 10 times. You see recorded 10 times and God said, okay? And God said, let there be light. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. And God said, let the water swarm with living creatures 10 times. And then in Genesis 2, it records, then the man said. Then the man said. Genesis 2 records for the first time what man says. The first words of man that God sees fit to record in the scriptures are these words. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The first recorded words of man in the Bible is what he says about his wife. The man rejoicing over her because at last he has found bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. In other words, his soulmate, the one that God has created for him and he for her. The first recorded words of man is what he says to his wife, about his wife. And so husbands, I just wanna challenge you to love your wife in this particular way with your words, with your words. What you say to her, about her, is biblically significant. Do your words build her up and breathe life into her or does it criticize and tear down? When you're talking to your wife in front of your kids, could they sense a rejoicing in you? Do your kids say, you know, when dad talks about mom, he just lights up, she makes him so happy. Do they think that? Dads, if your children see you regularly criticizing your wife, talking down to her, showing on your face a demeanor of frustration and disapproval, what are we subtly doing? We play the role of Christ, remember? We're subtly teaching our children that Jesus regularly gets frustrated with them. We're regular, that he regularly disapproves of of them. We teach our children wrong things about Jesus. The Bible tells us that God rejoices over us with great singing. Use your words to build up and not tear down. And not just your words, but the demeanor, the countenance on your face. My wife Angela tells me sometimes, Hallam, you just get this look sometimes, and it just both crushes me and infuriates me all at the same time. Does your husband have a look? Well, tell him. Tell him he, you get this look sometimes. It's not just your words, it's this demeanor that you have towards me. Carefully craft your words, carefully craft your demeanor to heal and encourage and to show your wife that she makes you so happy. Does your wife know that? That she makes you so happy, that you are so thankful for her that out of every and all women in this world throughout the history of mankind, God has handpicked her to be your wife. Does she know that you are so thankful to God for her? Show it with your words, show it with your countenance. So husbands, how are we doing? How are we doing at submitting ourselves, subjecting ourselves to our wives just as Jesus submitted and subjected himself For us, how are we doing at giving up ourselves for our wives just as Christ gave himself up for us? There's a way for us to know. Peter is going to tell us how we can know, how we can know we're doing at this, a litmus test, if you will. Let's look at the last part of the verse. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered, it says. Or another way to say it would be, husbands, if you're not living with your wife in an understanding way, if you're not showing honor to her, then your prayers will be what? Then your prayers will be hindered, right? And so what's the litmus test on how we're doing? If we were to ask Peter, Peter, you've given us as husbands this instruction. Peter, how do you think we're doing? I think Peter would say, well, let's look at your prayer life. Let's look at your prayer life. If your prayer life is terrible, husbands, perhaps, maybe, it's because you're being a pretty terrible husband. How's your prayer life? And why did God set it up this way? It seems strange, but it makes total sense if you think about it. Peter says that your wife, she is a co-heir with you of the grace of life. What does that mean? That means that your wife, she's not just your wife, but she's the daughter of the king. That's why she's a co-heir. She's a daughter of the king and she's in a very real way, a princess. And I want you to think about this. Dads with daughters will especially get it. My daughter Evie, she is my, she's my treasure. She is precious to me. I have three sons. I say to them all the time, boys, I got three of you. I only have one of her. She is precious to me. You treat her the way that I would treat her. You protect her, you guard her, you serve her, you treat her the way that I would treat her. Now when that terrible day comes, when my little Evie falls in love and gets married. (laughs) Think about this, how ridiculous would it be if Evie's husband was mistreating her and then for him at the same time want to come and hang out with me and have a relationship with me and talk with me and ask and request things of me. Any feelings of closeness that he has towards me would be absolutely delusional, right? You're going to mistreat my precious daughter and want to come hang out with me and talk to me as if nothing is wrong? Husbands, what Peter is saying is that God is so concerned with you living with his precious daughter in an understanding way, he is so concerned with you showing honor to his daughter by loving her, serving her, laying down your life for her just as he has done for her that he would interrupt his relationship with you, that he would hinder your prayers when you're not doing so. Husbands, you shouldn't presume to think that any spiritual good will be accomplished by your life if you aren't loving your wife. You shouldn't presume to have an unhindered relationship with God if you're mistreating his daughter. You should never think, oh, me and God, we're doing great, but I'm struggling to love my wife. That sentence is delusional, right? You should never think you're doing well with God if you are mistreating and not serving and not loving God his precious daughter. He loves you so much, he loves his daughter so much that he would interrupt his relationship with you until you start giving up your life the way that Jesus has given up his life for you. And so it's ultimately about that. It's ultimately about pointing each other to Jesus. Husband and wives reminding each other through their mutual submission what Jesus has done for us on the cross, the submission that he has demonstrated for us on the cross, and it's not going to be easy. It's not gonna be easy. Peter calls it suffering for a reason. He said, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Wives, because Christ was willing to submit himself, even to unjust rulers, so submit to your own husbands. Husbands, because Christ, your head, your authority, gave himself up for you. Husbands, give up yourself for your bride. Only to the extent that we see that this is what Jesus has done for you, you will be able to do this for each other. Husbands for wives and wives for husbands. When you think about the cross, when you think about Jesus on the cross, do you see that it is something that he is doing for you? Do you see on the cross that he is demonstrating a submission and a subjection and a suffering for you? And as difficult as it was, as painful as it was, why didn't he just come off the cross? What kept him there? What stayed him there on the cross? Was it the nails? He just couldn't overpower the nails? What stayed him on the cross was his love, was his love for you. His life was not taken from him. He laid it down. On the cross was demonstrated the ultimate picture of spousal faithfulness. He was faithful to us, and so let's be faithful to him and to each other. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Though he was God, he did not consider his equality with you as something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. He took upon the form of a servant, he took upon human flesh, and he obeyed and humbled himself even unto death, even death on a cross. So, Father, will you work in us, in husbands, in wives, in singles, in the young? And in the old, Lord, will you work within us in such a way to give us such an overwhelming, clear picture of the submission of Jesus demonstrated for us on the cross. That he gave himself up for us. And being so compelled, Father, let us lay our lives down. Father, I particularly pray for the husbands in the room, for the future husbands, in the room, Lord, that you would give us such a vision of Jesus, that you would give us such a vision of his headship, his authority over the church, and yet him laying it all down, giving up his life so that we might be saved. Let us be husbands at the end of the day that are able to stand before your throne and be able to say, Father, Just as the way that your son gave himself up for me, I have given myself up to the wife that you have entrusted to me. Let us all be able to say that. In Jesus' name we pray.